Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, 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 hello. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast episode number four. How are we four episodes in already? Only seems like yesterday. Well, look, let me tell you, if you've just stumbled across this one, let me tell you what you've missed. You've missed three, two, one podcasts. You've missed number one, Scroobius Pip. Number two, Block Party's Russell Lissack. And episode three, Snowboy. So you've got a lot of other little pod goodness to go and have a little right through and a listen if you enjoy this one i hope you do and if you do like it the easiest way to continue to like it and get it for free is by subscribing on acast or itunes so head over there and do that and while you're there drop us a little comment let us know what you like and let us know what you don't like um, and if you want to have a bit more of a chat about it we're on twitter and uh what the other ones facebook and instagram go over there and We'll have a little chat and yeah, I'd really, really be interested to, to get your thoughts on this because obviously I do the hardcore listening podcast with Chris every week and it's a lot easier when you've got someone sitting next to you that's your buddy and you can you can sort of have a chat between you and bounce ideas off someone else and, and then it's a lot less intimidating chatting to guests when there's me and Chris. So yeah, this is this is a little bit different and I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm always a little bit more nervous doing this one than I have um, the 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 ones I do with Chris, so yeah, I ho- I hope you enjoy it. I really do. And and what I will say, which I keep forgetting to tell everybody, is that if you go over to Spotify and you put in "off the beaten track podcast" and the name of the guest, then you can hear all the songs that they pick. So you can soundtrack this podcast and and dip in and listen to all the songs that they've chosen on there. And so yeah, go and head over there and do that as well. I'm just giving you orders, aren't I? I'm telling you like. What you need to be doing with your lives. Ignore me. Ignore me. Um, episode four. So this is the one you're going to have a little listen to right now. Um, you've probably heard either Scroobius Pip talking about him when we discussed the, you know, some of the greatest DJs we've 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 ever witnessed, and you've constantly heard uh, Chris and I talking about him. So it it seemed about time that. We had a chat with him and when I knew I was doing this podcast and it was going to be about music and and creative people growing up in Essex, then it just seemed like we had to get him on. And so today's guest is Ross Emmins or as he's known all around the world, DJ Destruction. 
Um, Ross was one of my oldest friends. We grew up in school together and then Ross kind of went to America and I'm not going to tell you who he worked with because we're going to discuss that in this, this chat. But Ross basically produced our incredible music for the biggest names in hip-hop and his story is unbelievable you know when do you know what i'm doing it again i'm pretty much telling his story before he's even started so i'm going to shut up now big thanks to distraction pieces network big thanks to scroob thanks to 76 for producing this and thanks to brad acton for the video content which head over to all the social medias and you can you can see it all there uh in the meantime really enjoy thanks for supporting and get involved in episode four of Off The Beaten Track Podcast with DJ Destruction. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, right. We are recording. So I'm sitting here at the Whipping and it's been a long time coming, this one. We, uh, we've spoke many times about uh, getting... Uh, a guest on, on, on hardcore listing and um because he's very much one of the gang. He's um he's been a, a DJ for 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 Pip for probably close to eight years now and uh and has been my, my friend since we was at school. Um so we've known each other way too many years because we're we're getting old. Um so uh it gives me great pleasure to um introduce tonight's guest which is um my mate and uh Producer, DJ Extraordinaire, DJ Destruction. Good to be here, Stu. Um, or, or we're gonna let's uh, Destruction's <laughs> the, the the working name, right? But, we're, but it's Ross, can, right? It's Ross. Ross Emmons. <laughs> a lot of people know me as Ross Emmons. So but my DJ name is Destruction, and it's good to be back at the within. It's yeah, been a while. Yeah, and uh, it is one of them ones where um, when we're, we're not sort of put a thing out saying like, who who would you like me to to chat to and. Um, the most common name, apart from uh, like things like, oh yeah, can't you just get like fucking Paul McCartney on or something? I was like, well, to be honest, he's probably not that accessible, and I'm, you know, I'm not so sure he's going to want to come to the whiff in. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the one name that did come up was loads of people saying, when you're going to get destruction on and wow. uh, and ask about his story because um, you're a pretty humble, quiet guy, but you know, I'm I'm always one to sort of shout from the towers about about what you've done and uh and so i think you know over the next hour as as you pick your songs i think we can talk about what you've achieved in your career um you know to date and and what's what's to come because uh you certainly showing no signs of, of of slowing down so uh definitely not so um we start the the podcast as ever um with the song with the greatest intro and I did not expect you to pick this. Right, the song with the greatest intro. Um, it's quite a strange one, but I've picked Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Reason being, um, it's a great piece of music. Yep. I can't knock it. Rocky is probably one of my favourite films. Or, yep. um, and it's by the American rock band Survivor. It was featured on Rocky Three soundtrack yeah, and yeah, also yeah. Rocky Four. Yeah. And I think you remember this, Stu. Do you remember when we went 
down to the state in Greys. So the state in Greys was it, a, it, yeah, it's is, a, is, a, is a cinema, and it, it's very much your, your traditional style cinema. It was like big swirling sort of uh, staircases. It was it's a beautiful old building, it's uh, like you, an Art Deco absolutely Grey Two listed building. You can see it in the video to Jamiroquai's Deeper Underground and Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that's right. The cinema scene for Roger Rabbit. Yeah, filmed there. yeah. And, so uh, I think. You know, just before the state closed, which I think was what nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, it has around to be about eighty-eight, yeah. just after Roger Rabbit came out. Um, yeah, Rocky Four. Yeah, we w- went to go and see yeah. that. And do you remember the terror it after was, that? It was the greatest cinema experience of my life. It was because it was. Like, it was like being at the fight. Yeah, it was. The whole crowd was so amped up, cheering. Yeah. When Rocky started smashing up Drago, the, Rus- Drago, yeah. the Russian guy. And it all turned around and It everyone, was a cinema that everyone was on their feet I've cheering. Never, never ever known there to be a cinema moment like that. No, no. For Rocky. And yeah, I everyone, tell people about that and they don't no, believe me. No, no. That sort of thing happens in America. Yeah. You know, people get engrossed in films yeah. and they cheer for the characters. Yeah. Everyone in the UK is a lot more laid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when that happened and the whole everyone was literally on their on their feet yeah. in the cinema, punching their fists in yeah. the air, go Rocky, go. Yeah. And that was that was crazy. Yeah. The atmosphere was incredible. And I remember when everyone came out of the cinema. Everyone was, everyone was too so much testosterone. Up. Yeah, too much testosterone. Yeah. And we were like, what, 14 at the time? 13, that, 14? Yeah. And like, I've never seen grown men fight. It was just brawling everywhere, wasn't it? Brawling in the street outside <laughs> McDonald's in Grey's High Street. Yeah. It was hilarious. Suddenly everyone was the Italian stallion. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> love it. But anyway, apart from that, it's a great piece of music. I yep. love the suspense in it. The guitar plucking yep. it, the ding 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 ding, yeah. and the stabs. It's awesome for mixing. I yep. love you, you. You know, if you ever come and see me do a DJ set, yeah. often I'll cut drop that. cut that in yeah. just the intro, and then I'll just drop it into some kind of hip hop beat or mix <laughs> an acapella over it. But um, but I just think it's a great piece of music, and I just love it. You can use it for so many different so things. So, so what I'm going to um, go on as. As a producer and, mm. and as a as a DJ, mm. your first song, your intro, right to your set, to your album, that's your statement, right? Yeah. And like, and then you know, but that intro, you know, for your DJ set, if that first ten seconds ain't gonna get you moving, no, it ain't happening, is it? No, it's all like, right. So, did you have any other sort of considerations for this? Like, was there anything else that sort of popped in your head when I was? Uh, um. Not necessarily. No, no, no. I um, thought you would have gone straight no, I went in with straight some hip hop. No, I could have done quite easily. Yeah. Could have easily gone in with House of Pain, Jump yeah. Around. Yeah. Um, but no, or I could have quite easily. Oh, what, uh, Dad's effect, some underground yeah. hip hop. I'm surprised. You know, I that's, thought that's you was going to go like but no, I, band, like Apache or something like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, there's so many hip hop samples uh, that you can use, but you can use this in hip hop. You yeah. know. It's a great track, um, you know. As I said, I, I'll use it in my DJ sets. You'll have to come and see me yeah. mix to see what I kind of do with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And um, yeah, I think it's just because it has a lot of memories for me. Yeah, as a track growing up, it's in great. Is because I've looked at your, <laughs> your your songs going through, and, and what's been a theme in, in in all of the guests that I've had on mm. um, is no one's trying to be too cool with their list. Like oh. no one's trying to like be too flashy and incredible they're all being honest with like yeah 
you know, first records they bought and things like that. And it's it's good. It's like it's it's it's, it's pretty genuine, which is you know, which is what I hoped I'd get. And, kind of gone with my answers as my gut instinct. Yeah. The first song that just pops into my head. Yeah. And for some weird reason, Survivor, yeah. I had a tiger. What was number one? So what, I bought what the. You can't see. Yeah, yeah. go on. Like Ross has bought all the, the sleeves. Oh, two copies, obviously. Two like, copies. If you're mix it up. Like, I should have. We should have recorded this next door and got the decks out, and you could have just done a live little. Uh, yeah. Like scratch up of it. Um, but maybe we'd take some photos later, definitely, Stu, when definitely. we finish the podcast, and we'll put them up online, and we'll hold some records up. Definitely. I mean, the thing is, as well, looking at this this cover, and like. Um, I mean, Mr. T was just beyond badass in this, right? Clubber Lang was just the scariest man ever, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I remember seeing this video on Top of the Pops and, you know, thinking, I think I was probably a bit too young to go to the cinema for Rocky Three. I think I was still probably yeah, just a bit... Yeah, Rocky Three came out in 83? 82. 82. So, yeah, what was we, nine? Like, yeah, we probably wouldn't have been allowed to. I remember to. just seeing this, like, ridiculously cool, handsome Italian guy that was obviously Stallone. Like just boxing, which is the ultimate masculine <laughs> kind of thing that you know, as a kid, you just think, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a boxer, you know, I want, <laughs> I want, I want to be Rocky. And then he's, you know, he's just got this. Before we we knew him as as Ba Baracus, just this scary looking dude that was super aggressive. Mm. Like, yeah, love it. And did he wear the chains in Rocky Three? I no, I don't think he, so. If no, he did. He wore the feathers in his ears That's in, in Rocky. Right. But uh, yeah, I think the the, the bling come with uh, with Mr. Baracus. That's a badass cover. It is, isn't it? Sylvester Stallone looks really young in this. Yeah, he's sporting a little kind of mullet. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, pretty, it's a, a nice piece of eighties uh, yeah. uh, barnet. Right so there. yeah, I thought I thought I'd bring the records along. So nice. um, there we go. Survivor. I had a tiger. So for your track two, um, okay, I've gone for the first song that you remember hearing. Add like an emotional impact on you. Okay, um, the song I've picked is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. Okay. You know, I'd listen to a lot of music, like, as a, as a kid. I mean, how old was you when, this, when, when you when you heard that for the first time? Probably, I'd say, probably 16, 17 years old. Um, you know, I listened to a lot of music before then. I was really into, I was a diehard hip-hop head, but I was kind of getting into... Other kinds of styles of music, funk, jazz, and um, yeah, what's going on? I've always known about the song, yeah. never really took much notice of it because it was always kind of being played on the radio yeah. in the background. But I kind of really, I think I've got to that age where you kind of really start listening more to what they're to saying, the, to what they're saying and, and what the song's about. So um, I went out, I found the record. It's on uh, Tamala Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, just a, it's a fantastic piece of music. Definitely pulls on the heartstrings. Um, it's, it's, it's my favourite album of all time. It, it's probably one of uh, mine. It's up there with um, with mine as well. The, the album, was a, it was a concept album, wasn't yeah, it? Which yeah. was kind of unheard of. Fam- famously, Barry Gordy was not that Not impressed. Not impressed at all. He, he said it was the worst record he'd ever heard in his life. And it's got to be by far the biggest selling that's ever been out on, on, uh, on Motown. I'm sure it's... Yeah, it's yeah. And I think it was one of Barry Gordy's um, executives. Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. But he actually went behind Barry Gordy's back and put the record out and it kind of sold like silly Shit amounts shovel, yeah. yeah but that was just a single yeah. and it kind of charted and they kind of well, Motown was synonymous with mm. you know pop 
you know, it was. And, and it's make no mistake, incredible pop, you know. But the, then all of a, a sudden, this it's is a political, yeah, record. absolutely. His and brother had, just got back from Vietnam, yeah, and you know, and Marvin Gaye had been suffering from depression, yeah, at the time. He'd just um, gone through a breakup with his wife, yeah, Tammy Terrell, yeah, uh, died, yeah, she yeah. passed away. So he had a lot of kind of tragic things going on yeah. in his life at the time. And at the time, he'd, he'd kind of moved into music production. And um, and one of the guys from the Four Tops, he actually came up with the idea of what's going on. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I kind of researched this. And um, he'd actually, um, all the civil rights people were kind of demonstrating about the wars that were going yeah. on. And the police kind of came in and they started you know, smashing them yeah, people yeah. up and, and it got quite ugly. And um, he, he kind of witnessed this and he was like, what's going on? This is yeah. like crazy. And he kind of come up with the, the, the concept of the track yeah, and um, played it to Marvin. And Marvin was like, yeah, I could do something with this. Marvin wrote the rest of the, the lyrics to it, put his own kind of... Um, I'm kind of stance on it and um, then that gave birth to the whole album what's yeah. going on and it became a big concept and delivered one of the greatest vocals ever I think uh, awesome awesome I've got acapellas of that I've got instrumentals and the stems to it yeah. and, and it's just you never just get bored listening there's, to that um, there's the acapella that I heard of um, heard it through the grapevine and it's just like you just if someone can sing like that it's, an, it's just a gift you know, I'm not a religious man, but if there was such a thing as, you know, a blessing, he was blessed with something now because yeah. like that, that voice is, it's just different league. It's absolutely different league. So let's, let's sort of go back a bit and, uh, because we want to sort of talk about the area in which we grew up and, and, mm. and where, where were you born, Ross? I was born in Allsit, mm-hmm. Allsit Hospital, but kind of grew up in Tilbury, mm-hmm. which is, uh, kind of a, Dockers Town, you know, yes, you've got Tilbury definitely. Docks. Um, it's very much, a, you know, everyone's, you know, parents and well, yeah. my dad was a docker, my granddad was a docker in Tilbury. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it is a, a, it was a poor area. It was a working class area. Yeah. And, uh, and it was quite rough, right? Yeah, it was rough. Um, got into my, got into a fair, my fair share of scraps down yeah. there and, uh, you know, but it kind of, it sort of kind of makes you the person who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when I was about 10, 11 years old, parents decided to move out of Tilbury. Uh, they didn't really want me to go to uh, secondary the, school, the secondary school there because it, it was having its problems. Yeah. And um, managed to get placed into a school called William Edwards in Grays. Mm-hmm. And my parents wanted to move to Grays. Um, and then we kind of, Moved there, and probably one of the best things I've done because, you know, at William Edwards, you know, our year at school because mm-hmm. me and Stuart was in the same year. Yeah, that's where we met. Wasn't together, it? that's where we met. We was about eleven years old, mm-hmm. and we had a great year at school, didn't we? Yeah, our, our year was school was fun. It was good. Uh, there was hardly any bullying going yeah. on. Um, there were some real creative people there. That's that, that's and, what. I'm... Um, you know that that that's what interests me, and it's like yeah. you know to, to be. I mean, I've got a fly in this room. I know. So if you can hear some buzzing there. in the background, yeah. it's a fly. So if, yeah, it's not feedback. We'll uh, yeah, <laughs> seventy six. Can you uh, edit the fly noise out, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when, when you was growing up uh, in, in in 
you know, in Tilbury, and then obviously in the early years of Graves. Like, but you know, mm. was there music on at home? You know, was your mum and dad big music fans, or was it? Yeah. You know, did you have an uncle or a granddad that was into okay, it? Okay, okay. Uh, my dad was more into his rock music. You know, he loved his status quo. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really my thing. I remember him trying to get me to do kind of thumbs in the belt loops, thumbs and in the, the belt, and um, <laughs> the ace and all that. But um, but no, I had an, an uncle who's my mum's brother, and uh, he introduced me to a lot of cool music. Um, as a youngster, I was kind of fascinated by sci-fi, um, Star Wars, Doctor Who, and um, and I was kind of really into sound effects rather than music. I was kind of um, I used to buy the BBC sound effects albums. Yeah. I never bought them. I was given them yeah. and, and tape recorded them by my uncle. Um, he was really into disco, funk. And jazz, so um, so you know, I heard a lot of that when I used to go and visit. Did you when you went there? Was you like always already excited about the thought that he was going to you know yeah, play, yeah. plays records? Yeah, yeah, he plays records. I used to sit. He used to have the War of the Worlds album. Yeah, and I remember sitting there with the headphones on, looking just at listening the cover. to that, the, looking at the pictures in yeah. the cover. You know, Richard Burton narrating yeah. it, David Essex on yeah. there, and the production was just it was a scary record, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. You know. So I was, I was well into that. Um, he bought me, like, one of my first records, uh, which was the Doctor Who theme. Yeah. Which was like, I love that music. Yeah. And um, like going, I, I bought it with me, actually. It's, it's in, in this bunch of records what here. What a dark sounding um, record that is. Doctor Who is very dark, and that was put together by um, Delia Derbshire, I think her name was. Um Ron Grainer actually wrote the music and gave it to her. Who She worked for the, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. And he said, what can you do with this? So she was quite forward thinking at the time, well ahead of her time. And we're talking about 1950s, 60s kind of time. And she was editing bits of guitar and chopping it together. So the bass line, the dong, da dong, yeah. dong, da dong. It was just like a one guitar plug. And she kind of cut this, spliced it together onto a tape, put it on a tape machine and got it round a broomstick so it was going around the studio so it was on a constant loop. And then I was playing an old synthesizer over the top and like all these whooshing sound effects, these backward noises. It, it, sounds, it, it sounds out of time, doesn't it? Record, yeah, it was like, all out of time, but... No, I want to say out of time, I don't mean like rhythmic, uh, rhythmically, like sonically it sounds from like otherworldly, right? Yeah, yeah, from another time. Yeah. But it was kind of, it was really raw sounding. Um, so I've got that, that was, that kind of blew my mind and I was really into, fascinated by sound effects. There was a, an album which my uncle had which was called Out of This World on BBC Records. And it had like all the TARDIS sound effects on it, which was, and I was fascinated by how that was made. And the, the, the TARDIS sound that they still use now was a Yale key being scraped up and down a piano string. Really? And slowed down. And that was how that, that noise was made. So that, that was. Really? Yeah, that's a Yale key. I never knew that. Yeah. And it was, and the Radiophonic Workshop, it was just kind of, they used to make things out of everyday objects record them to tape and just put kind of weird effects on it to make them sound really alien and space age so i was fascinated by that as a yeah. kid so um moving on to when i was 
kind of I discovered hip hop. We 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 met at school, and the whole yeah. break dancing. Well, we'll we'll get to that. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. We can go back to uh, that because the next the next question I want to ask you is, you know, if you if you used to choose that one song that reminds you of school days, then yeah. you know what what would that be? I well, mean, pick up where you left off on, on yeah, you know, discovering hip hop. Like so, uh, in our early days at um, at school, high school, yeah. um, the whole hip hop thing it exploded. It exploded. And uh, it was such a new thing. Yeah. Um, we was all trying to do head spins in yeah. the corridor at school and getting into trouble. It sounds strange, doesn't it? That like, it, you know, playtime, you know, or break, whatever you'd call it, you know, it was a case of, you know, people would have sheets of vinyl flooring, like... Yeah, linos. Know, linos, yeah. You'd bring lino in and, you know, you was all trying to get the fat <laughs> laces for your trainers to look like yeah. DMC. Yeah. And like, and, and, and you would literally... Someone would have a, a cassette player, and you would play whatever hip hop that m- more yeah. than likely someone had taped off of a pirate radio station. Yeah, well, and and you'd break dance. Yeah, like yeah. Well, we used to take um, a can of um, furniture polish in. Polish up the lino. Yeah, well, not even even that. Like, I think our school had the cleanest yeah. floors. Yeah. Going. Yeah. And um, you know, just to get that that faster backspin. Yeah. And um, so we. Uh, the whole breakdancing thing exploded, yeah. and that's where I discovered hip hop music. Yeah, and um, and going back to my my uncle, he kind of bought all the Street Sounds Electro albums. Right, and that's a cool uncle. He was very cool. He was very cool. So I've got a lot to like thank him yeah. for. And uh, he introduced me to the Electro albums. He used to tape them for me. Um, so the Electro albums and, for people that don't know what they are were oh, a series of like compilations that was right? put together by a guy called Morgan Khan that's right and he used to put the hottest imports from America uh, together like that was coming out of New York and LA and uh, he'd have a, a load of guys on the decks um, mastermind they were called um, some of the first mixing guys in this country yeah. and uh, they used to scratch and mix these records together record them onto a vinyl LP and put them out mm. and they was like amazing and that was our soundtrack and the, the artwork to... on them sleeves was amazing like, yeah you know I, I remember you'd walk past a you know a record shop back in the day and and you know they'd have all the records in the windows and electro yeah. albums like you know whatever electro was one two three four generally the cover was a big number right yeah. with electro written yeah. down the and, side uh, oh, the, 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 it's it's pretty iconic imagery, I think. Mm. And, uh, so, um, so what have you actually chose for your your, your track? Okay, I'd say it's um, Beastie Boys. It's got to be Beastie Boys because yeah. um, you know, being a teenager at school, you're kind of rebelling, and um, and Beastie Boys they were just like these white kids from New York. They started off as a punk band in 1979, and um, Rick Rubin discovered them, yeah. and Russell Simmons. And uh, got them on Def Jam Records, and they recorded this almighty album, uh, Licensed to Ill. Yeah. Now, um, Brass Monkey, I think it's one of those crazy tunes. Yeah. So it's about drink, even yeah. though we weren't old enough to drink yeah. at the time. But I but remember it, going to parties, and uh, you know that used to come on, and, yeah. and we used to lose it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I remember going to a certain party where um, there was there was two brothers, and one brother went to our school, and the other brother was was um, bright and went to the the the, uh, the, the private school. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember the DJ like trying to sort of incite a big sort of inter-school fight by playing Brass Monkey <laughs> uh, to us lot to go and, go and, have, go and have a scrap with the posh kids. Yeah. Uh, 
But I, I think Brass Monkey, like, although it is about booze and, you know, we probably didn't even know at the time, but the whole sound of Licence to Ill is raucous, isn't it? And, and you, you know, it, it, I think for people that know the Beastie Boys now and, and, and the work they've done over the last 30 years, mm. or sorry, 20 years, let's say, you know, he's, he, he, you know, everything they've ever done was phenomenal. You know, I, I think we're all in agreement that they're one of the greatest bands that's, that's ever oh, done anything. No and, doubt, no doubt. But, but that album was such an important crossover. Uh, that the fact that it was three white guys yeah. making an album which fused rock, guitar, yeah, with massive hip hop beats, and and but the thing was as well, front page news. It was like the Pistols, wasn't it? It was like these are like the most shocking things ever, and there was like. It was front page that people didn't want the Beastie Boys coming to the UK, and it was ridiculous, really, wasn't it? That the bad news is good news for them. Of course, of course. And um, but I, I was lucky enough to get to see them not yeah. when they first came yeah. over, but I, I think it was about two thousand and five. Yeah. I'm sure I went to see yeah. them. I'm, I'm so glad I got to see them yeah. before they, before like MCA yeah. kind of tragically yeah. passed away. Um, yeah, probably one of the best concerts I've ever been to. But going back to uh, the, the early years at school yeah. and, and, you, and you sort of getting into hip-hop. I mean, you, you I, I remember like, you, you went to pretty much the most iconic gig of that point, right? Yeah. Um, this was uh, the 87 Def Jam tour where so Public you, Enemy had just released their first album. So what was you, 13, 14? Um, 13, 14. Yeah. Um, also on the bill was Eric B and Rakim. And LL Cool J. I mean, that's that's some lineup, man. That's some lineup, and for me to kind of, well, for my parents to kind of let me go up to London on my own at that age seems crazy. At, at night, yeah. You know, Hammersmith, the other side of London. Rough. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think twice we nearly got mugged for yeah. our tickets. Yeah. And uh, how we got how we got in there, I, I do not know. Yeah. And, and how we survived it, it was just uh, amazing. But. Um, you know, that was televised, that concert. It well, that was, was when LL Cool J had the bed on stage, wasn't it? He had it? the bed on stage, and his single at the time was I Need Love. That's right. And everyone kind of just started throwing bottles that at him. That weren't cool, though, it, it was weren't it? weren't cool at the time. Yeah. Maybe in America, they yeah. kind of was, was feeling it. But people just wanted the rawness. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, after seeing Public Enemy just tear the place down, yeah. and then LL Cool J comes on stage and makes love to a sofa, yeah. it just ain't happening. <laughs> it's not the one, is it? <laughs> it's not. Brilliant. Um, okay, so so you enjoyed school. I love school. Yeah. Um, I probably wasn't the most academic. No. Kid, I think no. either of us were. No, really. Not at all, we not just at all. kind of enjoyed our time there. Um, but did, did did you feel did did you feel creative at school? Did you very? You know, I was I was very artistic. Yeah. You know, I yeah, think you, you, art you, and music go hand in hand. I yeah. was always kind of um, getting A's for for art. I kind of passed my O level. When I was uh, third year seniors, yeah. and then I kind of done my GCA, GCSE, got an A grade for that. So I was kind of all kind of set to go on on a career in graphic design yeah. or art. Yeah. Um, I kind of didn't pursue it because the music side of me was kind of pulling me. Yeah. That way, but I didn't know how I was gonna get into it because there weren't no college courses. You couldn't go to college sure. to be a a sound engineer it was just unheard of in those days um so you know i was kind of i think i was probably one of the first kids to have decks i mean i, I remember really, you, when you I getting a part-time job in the chippy right i had um i remember um saying to my parents 
I went turntables. Yeah. And I, I was kind of no like one had turntables. Thirteen. I was thirteen at the time, yeah. and uh, my dad's like, "Well, you know, how much are these going to cost?" I say, "Well, the the Technics are like two hundred and fifty pound each," and he nearly spat his tea across the yeah. room. He said, "Well, I ain't paying that kind of sort of money out. Um, if, if if that's what you really want." then you're going to have to go out and get yourself a job. So I had like three paper rounds. Yeah. I thought I was doing the morning round, the yellow advertiser, yep. the Thurrock Gazette. And, and then I was um, peeling spuds in the, the local chip shop. Yeah. And uh, within about a year, I had enough money saved up to buy like these pristine Technics yeah. turntables. I think it was a, a Tandy Radio Shack mixer. Yeah. And, um, and that's it. That was... Yeah. That was my path that I wanted I, I, to. Um, I can remember going around your house and, yeah. and, and you had you had decks and it just yeah. I, I was blown away and it was like and yeah and and it was then that I remember you playing pulling out um, the greatest hits of the incredible Bongo Beat Band yeah and uh, and playing Bongo Rock and Apache and uh, wow and I was like fourteen yeah, at the time I, I remember mem- where I was when I bought that record I was on a, a family holiday in Blackpool. Right, and there was a a record. I, I knew what breakbeats were because yeah. going back to my uncle yet again, um, he knew I was listening to all this music, and he used to know well what all the samples were. So he used to kind of edit. He used to go right, okay, that's sheep, good times. Yeah, that's um, that's James Brown. Yeah. blah blah blah. And um, so I used to make this list of all the samples I wanted, and I pinned it up on my wall and I used to cross them off when I used to find them. And I remember being on holiday in Blackpool. Yeah, I'll have another beer, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, finding Bongo Rock by the incredible Bongo Band. Yeah. And what a tune that is. And I remember that just blew your mind. Yeah. And um, to be a kid at school, kind of digging for records yeah. like that, you know, most kids were just in a kind of pop music. Yeah, and, I mean, I was. Electro albums, you know. but to, to have a, some weird, obscure record we, like that. We always knew when we got around yours, what, whatever was kind of coming out that was yeah. being used in hip hop. That was, you know, that we was hearing in the charts. Yeah. You would go, "Here's the break." This was where it come from, yeah. and it was like, "Wow!" Like, and I'm like this 14, 15 year old. It made no kid. sense. It made no sense, <laughs> and uh, which is interesting because that you speak about like samples and stuff like that. Because I've asked you to choose the first ever record you bought. Yeah. And now it, the fa- first ever record I bought um, was this is quite an interesting one. Just trying not to drop all my records on the floor. Um, Art of Noise, close to the edit. Yeah. Now, um, what an incredible record. It's great. And um, they were very groundbreaking yeah. at the time. They were kind of sampling hip-hop beats, like breaks, samples, um, way before anyone else was, way before the, the golden era of hip-hop. These guys were doing it first. So um, Art of Noise, they were kind of a, a production team. Um, and they were responsible for production on, oh, they produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood, ABC, Yes, um, even Tom Jones. Yeah. Didn't they do... T- Kiss. Kiss. Yeah. They did that. But um, the members of Art of Noise were Trevor Horn. Yeah. You remember Buggles? He of kind course, of put yeah. that together. Uh, Video Killed the Radio. I used to love that tune. Yeah. That, that, was, that came out in 79. Um, it was some of the other members. Uh, Anne Dudley. Yeah. She she kind of was, uh, was a ranger. Was Morley in it briefly. Yeah, he was. Was he a music journalist? Yes. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, he was kind of part of the band. Yeah, what he did right. in it, I, that, I yeah. just do not know. But it, just, maybe it was an ideas man. I've just got to read the back of this this sleeve. It's it's just brilliant. Yeah. 
So this is what's written on the back of the, the sleeve. This single exists as an accessory to the LP, Who's Afraid of the Art and Noise, released on Zang Tum Tum. The B-side, A Time to Hear, Who's Listening, inside brackets, is a concentrate of sorts of the LP in an effort to see who is listening. Who cares and who why? ZTT, who better, are prepared to make a slightly average offer. Like what you hear on Zips01, snap out this voucher and it allows you 50p off the price <laughs> of Who's Afraid. Law tells us we have to p tell you only one voucher redeemable per cassette or LP. <laughs> it should be a pound off, but life's not that blissful, that's it. The offer closes 30th of November 1984. That's fucking amazing. Wow. Like, wow. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's... That's a smart band, right? Yeah, that they, you know, as, as I said, they were a production team and they produced some of the biggest records in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, also, I, I should touch on, um, they produced lots of um, Malcolm McLaren's album, pretty yeah, much the whole yeah. album, Duck Rock. I don't know if yeah. you've heard that album. Of course, yeah. Um, Double Dutch, Buffalo Girls. Yeah. Now, there was a certain few tracks on there which kind of... Uh, were very hip hop yeah. orientated, um, I mean, especially Buffalo Girls. Yeah, of course. But Double Dutch, the video was the Ebonettes, wasn't it? Like yeah. doing the skipping and that. And, and I remember, like, you know, Double Dutch and definitely Buffalo Girls, people were breaking to that. Yeah, right. yeah. But that was one of the first records that ever introduced scratching as a percussive musical instrument. Really? On a record. I think Rocket was another one. Yeah. Uh, you've probably heard some scratching on um, 1981 Grandmaster Flash, Adventures yeah. on the Wheels of Steel. But um, Buffalo Girls, it was kind of used as an instrument. And uh, that was the world famous Supreme Team, who yeah. were um, New York City radio DJs yeah. at the time. So, um, that, yeah. So, uh, at this point, like, we're literally riding around on our grifters, like being like just bored and hanging around the youth clubs. And you're at home teaching yourself how to scratch records. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, you had a pretty fine grifter as well. But uh, the XL. You had the XL. You had the Premier League. Didn't your uh, brother grifter. have the XL as well? I'm, I'm pretty sure. He did, he did, yeah. He did have an XL. I, I had the crappy blue one. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, you, uh, uh, you know, when you was teaching yourself to scratch, what, what was your kind of incentive here because at that point you didn't necessarily have too much recording equipment right you know you was recording mixes and things like that but yeah was you producing beats then i don't think no not no at, school. at that time um i didn't have anyone to teach me yeah but all i had ever seen of um scratching was grandmaster flash on the film movie wild yep. style yeah because up till then i knew there was this sound because i was fascinated by kind of weird sounds yep. as a kid and i could hear this wicked 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 sort of sound and what 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 the hell is that? Yeah. And seeing the movie Wild Style and Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. That was what kind of that is how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then there was other movies, um, uh, called Breakdance. Yeah. Beat Street. Yeah. And it was only small little snippets and listening to electro albums, the Street Sounds electro albums. You kind of have to work it out yourself. Yeah. And uh, that was hence why I never you never used to see me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never used to come out. I was that just was kind of you locked was, away. Was working. And um, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily making beats. I was doing pause button remixes, yeah. um, pause button um, edits, and I was sending them to radio stations. And I remember... What's a, what's a pause button edit? I don't know. Right, think. okay. Um, pause buttons is like, if you remember the, the old tape decks, yeah. um, you used to have a mechanical pause button on it. So yeah. you used to press the record and play button. Yeah. And you'd have the, the pause button yeah. held down. You put your record on, 
on the deck or whatever source you've kind of got at the time. And when you get to a certain part of the record, maybe the break, you kind of let the pause button go. Right. When you get to the end of the break, you pause it again, but it has to be dead on beat. Then you've moved the, the needle back on the record, bring it forward and or scratch, you know, just do... And, and that was what I was doing. I was doing that before I even had turntables. Right. But when I got the turntables, I was incorporating that technology with the, the turntables. Yeah. And I used to record these mixes and I sent them to radio stations. And... Um, Funny story, uh, there was a hip-hop DJ called Mike Allen. He started on yeah, he was Capital massive, Radio. Yeah. And uh, he used to do the hip-hop electro show on there. When he finished there, he moved to LBC Radio. And he said, right, we're going to do like a, a mix competition. So I thought, well, I'll give this a go. Yeah. Um, entered the competition and I got through to the final. And um, the funny thing is, I was I can't remember the... Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. DJ's name, but it was Liam Howlett from The Prodigy. Really? I was up against him in the final, and he won the competition, and I came second. I've still got the tape recording of it. And what did he end up doing? He ended up being like The Prodigy, <laughs> like the producer of The Prodigy. I think he'd done all right, didn't he? <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, that's a crazy bit of uh, knowledge there. So, um, at, at this point, I, I mean, I can, I can recall you um, getting your decks into school for an assembly and doing some scratching. Yep, I did uh, that. And, you know, I still get stopped even to this day by people that were younger than me that I didn't necessarily, don't, didn't really, don't really know, you know, that were kind of first years when I was a fourth or fifth year at the time. And they'd be going, ah, oh, you're Ross. I remember seeing you... Uh, doing your scratching in assembly that was like mind-blowing never seen anything like it yeah so it kind of uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes to yeah, yeah, yeah. what was going on at the time so um at which point before we we, we get on to you know where you went clubbing and stuff like mm. that um before you kind of i guess left school and before you i mean i'm trying to think exactly how old you must have been but the the, the pinnacle of of scratching was the the dmc Yes. Uh, competitions which yes. were where everybody you know if you could record scratch that was the the, the yeah, holy grail if, if right? you could kind of get 
win any kind of title in the DMC, that that was good because everyone wanted to be a DJ back then. Yep. It was a new thing. It was um, uh, an ever-evolving um, art form because there was new scratches being coming out all the time, like Transformer scratching chirps and... And and every year it's just kind of getting and it was visual as well, right? Because really people visual were tired. Not, not it's not so visual. But now. people were doing like spins and scratching with the, well, like, their elbows a, and noses. It and... got to a point when um, guys were doing hand spins on on decks mm. and you know the elastic bands like tied around the tone arm and they were plucking it like a like a musical instrument. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I entered the DMC. I, I became a, a the southeast champion in yeah. 1991 and 92. And um, that took me to the UK finals. Yeah. Uh, didn't quite actually win that, yeah. But it was it was good exposure. Yeah. It kind of got me known out there. People used to stop me and they'd be, "Oh, you're a distraction from yeah. the DMC," because they used to put the videos out. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really cool. Oh, that, there was nothing better than, than, than watching them videos oh. around yours of just like your schoolmates, like up there like scratching like you know yeah. on this massive stage in front of like oh, yeah. serious crowds do you serious know what I mean serious crowds back then right. and, and, uh, but yeah to, to kind of win like the, the, the regional finals was pretty cool yeah I think back I think I beat Prime Cuts yeah uh, who's part of Scratch Perverts yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah some other there was some other big names like Devious D who was yeah. like kind of some big drum and bass DJ yeah. who else did I beat um, Crafty Cuts yeah you know, but I made some good friends through that yeah, competition yeah, yeah. as well. I still know to this and day. And so by, by then you'd got involved in, in radio as well, right? Right, okay. Um, a, little, that, a little bit before DMC, yeah. I was kind of... It was the year I left school, 1989. There was um, a good friend of mine, uh, Daz, uh, otherwise known as the undercover agent. He's yeah. like a drum and bass producer. But he, he was another guy who went to our school, mm-hmm. slightly older than me. He had turntables. Yeah. And um, I got quite friendly with him. He he said to me, oh, I'm going to set up a radio station. I thought, ah, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, one day in, in the summer, he was like, switch on your radio on. We're on we're on live. So like I could hear it. And he said, why don't you come down and do a radio show? So with that, I kind of grabbed my records together, run up to where the studio was, and I did the very first radio show on Syndicate FM. Wow. And... Um, that was quite amazing. Yeah. And Syndicate went on to be one of the, it was huge. Yeah, it was a trailblazer. Of a, we we know, were like kind of banging out, like pretty much the whole southeast of England. Yeah. And um, and that was also around the time that, you know, alongside you doing hip hop, you know, there was a lot of acid ass and... and yeah, you know, the whole rave culture. That, there was that, acid that rave house culture hop. was so prevalent, obviously, in the area that we grew up in. Them yeah. M25 raves and stuff was... This was before drum and bass actually yeah. like came about, and um, DJs on the station we had like Andy C, DJ Vibes, yeah. who I understand is going to yeah, be, will be another yeah. one of these podcasts. Um, uh, there, there was some lo- some really good local talent, DJ MB, MA Double T, from Ego Tripping, and um, I'm still friends with these guys yeah. to this day. And um, it's it's a scene that you know so many people. Just, just in the area like that, the, you know, like where where we live and where Pip lives, and you know, just in Grays and Stamford alone, like there's so many people that are, have achieved so much in sort of underground radio stations and production that people don't really know about. No. You know, you know, you look at Tony Mole, um, you know, he's a he's a 
guy from around our, our area that has produced music for years and years. Yeah. I mean, the guy done an official remix for the Beastie Boys. Yeah. I mean, that's that's incredible, you that's know? That's amazing. Like, and, you know, he's just seems quite happy making his beats in his room. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of my kind of career and the people that I've met, all like it all seems to stem from pirate radio yeah. and the people that you meet. So, um, you know, as well as Syndicate, I was on False FM, which is another big station mm-hmm. in, in um, the southeast. And uh, But I was kind of stuck to doing hip-hop shows. and uh, that's, that's the thing. You know, with, with, with you, what, what I've seen over the years is like, in, in the early days of, of hip-hop, when everyone was listening to hip-hop, you mm. know, it was Public Enemy, it was LL Cool J, it was Run DMC, it was the Beastie Boys, you know, and it took the world by storm. Yeah. And, it, you know, and when you're 13, it's the most exciting thing ever, hip-hop. And, yeah. you know, and, it, and it, everyone was breakdancing, everyone was <laughs> wearing the clothes. And, and then it moved on. Yeah, and and you know we we all then started like a lot of us were listening to other stuff and whatnot. But you stayed true to hip hop. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I never you know, kind of left it. Nah, but like, I think being a hip hop DJ, you appreciate other styles of music. Absolutely. You know, if you're like um, if you was an acid house DJ, you, that would be all you played. Yeah. Uh, drum and bass. That's kind of all. Yeah. All, all that you play, but I think with being a hip hop DJ. You borrow samples of music yeah. from funk, soul, reggae, rock, yeah, and um, it kind of broadens your horizons. Mm. You can incorporate that into your mixes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so now you know you've you've, you've won DMC and you know and you, you've gone on. And you've competed in the in the UK finals and you know you've got your name everywhere in you know on, on radio and so. You've hit that age where you can go sort of clubbing and stuff. And I mean, what was about for you that that was playing the music that you wanted to hear? Uh, well, you know, for me to hear music I wanted to hear, I used to have to venture out, probably more into London a yeah. lot of the time to the hip hop clubs that were there. Um, but Essex wise, you know, a lot of the mainstream clubs were playing just your your usual rave, chart dance music. Chart dance music. You might be lucky if you kind of heard like a few hip hop tunes in there, but yeah. it was nothing to write home about. Yeah. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Um, so I was kind of going to clubs like um, Lacey Lady, mm-hmm. which was like uh, funk and soul clubs, which yep. was like, um, I don't know if you remember Chris Hill. Yeah. Um, there'd be like the Froggy Sound System there and a, and a whole heap of these DJs that used to do the gold mine yeah, back yeah, in yeah. the 70s and kind of early 80s. But I used to go to the Lacey Lady quite often and that was, that was really cool. Um, also, Pink Toothbrush yeah. was quite a big part of my clubbing days. Yeah. 
And um, I think we went there the very, very first time you went there, Stuart. Yeah, we went we, together. We went together. Yeah. I think there was a whole group of us there went. Yeah. I think we finished work one night. Yeah. We were working part-time in a warehouse. Asda. Asda's. Yeah. <laughs> got, in, got, got in uh, our Fred Lee's car and he said, we're going to go to Pink Toothbrush. And we didn't know what to expect, really, did we? That was yeah. crap. I remember just walking in there and it just being... It was like alien. Yeah. Really, I've never seen anything like yeah. it. Like these kind of weird kind of gothics on platform yeah. shoes and with punk rockers with yeah. their Mohicans and listening to all this kind of crazy music. But it was not the kind of music you'd hear in any other yeah. nightclub in Essex. Yeah. It was kind of like a, you know, a lot of rock. I think there was yeah. played Northern Soul yeah. in there, which was really cool. Yeah. And it was like really different. And yeah. I was, I remember like thinking, this is like a, a real different kind of yeah. club, uh, you know, and, um, and to sort of think like, Fast forward a few years, you know, you became a DJ there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I played gigs there. Yeah. I've, I've, they've, they've put hip-hop nights yeah, on you, at the Pink you, you played brush. with Africa Bambata there, didn't you? Yeah, Maceo from De La Soul. Mark B and Blade. Mark like. B and Blade. So th- we've had some great nights down yeah. there. And, um, you know, the Saturday nights and the Friday nights were really cool. Yeah. You know, just as an alternative night out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, other clubs, uh, Sax. In yeah. South End, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Used to go down there. Used to do like hip hop, funk, and soul nights. Um, Sax was like a little basement in South End, wasn't it? It was a tiny little yeah. sort of a bar, and it had a little little sort of. It's still going strong, and uh, and and they used to put more sort of specialist nights on there. There was nothing particularly commercial going on in there. It was always, yeah, and it always definitely had a, a kind of good sort of cool vibe too. Yeah, did, did Snowboy used to DJ? Yeah, there. yeah I'm sure yeah, he did. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so yeah, that so we were very limited in Essex as to places to go. Because everyone was into the whole rave scene, there was a lot of illegal raves going on as well. You know, that that that, that literally was right. We were slap bam in the middle of it, weren't we? Yeah. You know, it was there was it was yeah. all around us. But if I had to push you to pick a tune that that soundtracked clubbing for you, what, um, what are you going to go for? I think I'd go for House of Pain, Jump Around. Okay. Because it's a great hip hop tune. Yep. You know, it's um, it, it's a great party tune. It's a great party tune. Um, no matter where you went in the nineties, that tune would always get played. If I was in a, we'd go to a cheesy dance club in, in a cheesy Grays, dance club in Grays. And you know you'd get. They'd that. always stick like House of Pain, jump around on. You'd be snap. I got the power. Groovies in the heart. Grooves in the heart. Yeah. Treat and right. Chub rock. Yeah. And that'll be like your hip hop. Fifteen yeah. minutes, and yeah. then it'll be back to the dance yeah. music. And there'll be all us lot kind of jumping yeah. around going but crazy. But we do and that. And then, the then I'd it. also remember they'd, they'd, they'd play like Unbelievable, The Soup Dragons, I'm Free. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, what was the other? There was like, oh, um, maybe Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses if you yeah. was lucky. And uh, and probably at the time Dizzy. And you'd get like, you'd just get a little snippet of indie tunes as well. And, you know, it just you'd try and sort of stamp your mark on a dance like that before <laughs> it went back to bloody Robin S and... Yeah. And all, the, all all of the, the commercial <laughs> dance stuff, but uh, it's, do you know what? Like, Asa Payne's one of those songs that's probably been played to death everywhere. But there's yeah. a reason for that. Is because it's a it's just a fucking party starter, right? Oh, so, it's an awesome tune. It's produced by DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill, and Cypress Hill are one of my favourite hip hop yeah. bands. Anyway, um, it's got some awesome samples in it. If you kind of dissect the record, it's uh, the big intro is from Bob and Earl's Harlem Shuffle. Mm-hmm. Which is a great tune. One of my okay. favourite sort of um, funk tunes yeah. from uh, from I think 
was like late 60s, early Definitely 70s. Famously covered by the Stones. Yep. Um, the sample, the main groove of uh, House of Pain is by Chubby Checker, of all people. Really? If you didn't know that. Uh, it's called Popeye the Hitchhiker. So if you kind of Google that track. So what track, sample is that? What's And I always thought that the squeal was Prince. Yeah. Um, get off. Yeah. I thought that for years and years and yeah. years. And it wasn't until um, We Sampled comes out, you know, the kind of yeah. the website, because I often go on there and, yeah. and find out what the samples are. But that was, oh, who was it? Uh, J.R. Walker and the, uh, Walker and and the All-Stars. Yeah. Oh, right. And it's a track called uh, Shoot Your Shot. Right. A Motown record. So if you go on there, it's like a saxophone squeal. Yeah. Sounds nothing like Prince when you hear it. But, oh, right. but yeah, that, that's the kind of the three main songs in Jump Around House of Pain and they slowed those songs down and made that tune and what an awesome tune it was and I think exactly the same time as House of Pain Jump Around was out you had Criss Cross yeah Jump, jump yeah 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 and you, commercial you, tracks but don't matter but don't it, matter. it's just a blinding tune and, and no matter where you went you could be in the Peak Toothbrush yeah. in Rayleigh you'll get dropped in yeah. there you could have been a cheesy nightclub in yeah. Grays you'll go off there yeah. or you could be up in London yeah and uh, what an awesome tune. I still play the tune to this uh, day. We, we are, Lisa, so you will still drop that with crisscross. It and, still goes uh, off. And it, 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 you know, it's, it's it, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cracker. It really is. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, look, um, so, you, you know, you've, you, I'm going to go for your track six, which is I want to know what your favourite song from an artist is from your home county. Okay. Um, I had to think about that one because there's a lot of good artists that's come out of Essex. Absolutely. But I think I'd go with The Prodigy. Yeah. Uh, Firestarter. Okay. Which I think is a totally awesome track. I remember when that came out, I've never heard anything like it. And I think Liam Howlett, the producer, he, the, he kind of managed to fuse so many different styles of music into one. Um, you know, you, you've got elements of hip hop in there. He even sampled the art and noise, the track we spoke about yeah. earlier, uh, close to the edit. Yeah. The hey, sound. Um, he um, Keith Flint. He was the, um, yeah. the he was one of the dancers from yeah. the Prodigy, and they kind of pushed him as the front man. Yeah. And they kind of borrowed elements of punk, like yeah, from the Sex definitely. Pistols. Yeah, you know. So you had that going in there, and then you had the elements of like the rave culture. But they grabbed the guitarist, right? Yeah, like, because they auditioned our guitar. Obviously, we, was in, you know, we haven't touched on the fact we've been in a you know we was in a band together for probably ten years. Yeah, but um, and our, our guitarist when when, when we. We, we won a big band competition, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, John and, Bennett. He kind of and all... two of the prodigy were at the gig and and wanted him to join and because yeah. they were looking for a guitarist and yeah he, that that didn't happen. He uh, he stuck with us and uh, <laughs> I remember standing at the V Festival with him the following year and the prodigy had Giz Butt playing guitar from then and <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I think he might have made the wrong move there <laughs> but uh, but yeah I mean it did it, it, it fused so much, didn't it? And and, yeah. and I don't think. A, had we heard beats that hard before? Never. Like, never, you know, never. production that big and then bass drops and... But the album, um, it was at Fat of the Land. Yeah. What an album that was. Yeah. Um, I remember purchasing that mm. and um, thinking, wow, that's crazy. And they, there was some nice hip-hop tunes on there. Things like but, Diesel Power and things like that. Yeah. Love, you know, they're big hip-hop beats, but aren't they? But people don't know that, that Liam came from a hip-hop background. Yeah. You know, his roots are pretty much the same as mine. Mm. You know, he, he came up doing Paul's Button mixes mm. and um, he was a DJ in a, in a UK hip-hop band called uh, Cut to Kill. 
Really? I've got those records. Mm. And I remember getting sent them in the post. And um, and then he kind of, I think he just discovered Rave in 89. Yeah. And he kind of just went down that whole route and, you know, absolutely made a mint out yeah. of it. But he's a very clever guy. I take my hat off Make to no him. Make no mistake. Still, still to awesome. this day, the greatest live band I've ever cool. seen. I've never uh, ever got to see them. And it's yeah. one of the bands. I, I saw them on, when, when Fat the Land came out. And then it was, as I've discussed with Chris and I've got this him many, many times. Yeah. Like, he was there. And when... They played Poison live. It was just like something I'd never seen. It was just, I'd never seen so many people in one place bouncing in time to something. Mm. It was, oh, it's phenomenal. Absolutely wow. phenomenal. Awesome. Uh, so, okay. Okay. So, in, in regards to um, your last track, um, I've asked you to pick a song that, that, that not many people know. That you know you'd like them to hear, so yeah. Um, I don't know this, um, so you, I'll let okay. you introduce it. Um, well, I think many people from the hip hop world, the, the proper heads, will probably know this one, mm -hmm. but um, people that kind of just your mainstream that you know that dipping and out of yeah, dipping in and out of hip hop. Um, this this is kind of I'd say this is my favourite record of all time, really. That kind of sums up what I do and and took me in the direction that I wanted to go, and it's. Um, it's a bootleg mix of lots of, it's like a collage of old school breakbeats and it's by a group called Double D and Steinsky uh, and the, the track's called Lesson 3. Was there lessons though? Lots of There them. were lessons, there was Lesson 1, 2 and 3. Now right. the, the history of the lessons is, is um, Tommy Boy Records, which is a famous mm -hmm. um, hip hop label, um, they, they bought out Planet Rock and um, just many, many big mm -hmm. hits, the Pac Jam back in the day. Um, they were holding um, a remix competition out to anyone that wanted to kind of enter. And it was to remix a track by Globe and WizKids, um, Play That Beat, Mr. DJ. So um, Double D and Steinsky, they were just these kind of white dudes that was like watching the hip hop scene. They used to go down to the clubs in downtown Manhattan and they were watching all these kind of DJs doing this new style of break mixing and and getting in, immersed in that whole culture. Now, these two white guys, I think Steve Stein was a copy supervisor for a, a marketing company. Mm -hmm. um, Doug DeFranco, um, he was um, a sound editor for, uh, he'd done commercials for TV. So they kind of, they had access to studio equipment and they kind of went in and they remixed, uh, played that Beat Mr. DJ, called it Lesson One, the payoff mix. And uh, they added, um, what did they add to it? like um, oh, snippets from the Supremes, uh, tap dance instructional records, and, um, and that won the competition. Mm. And uh, they pressed that up, that come out on a limited run. And um, straight away after that, they thought, oh man, we're onto something here. And they ended up doing another cut and paste remix, which was uh, the James Brown mix, which is lesson two. And um, just like the pause button, mixes yeah. that I told you about this is like um, they were cut and paste cut and paste means like a reel to reel tape yeah, deck yeah, yeah. and for those that don't know you'd splice it with a razor blade all the best parts of the records and sell it, tape it all back together run it for a reel to reel add bits over the top and and that's how they kind of used to make their records now the third um, lesson was called the history of hip hop which was all the break beats that kind of the kids were break dancing yeah. to in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, it was kind of 
uh, what, what records did they use? It was like Dance to the Drummer's Beat, Apache, yeah. um, Jam on the Groove, Planet Rock. And it was just this most awesome medley. So for anyone listening to this show, just Google Double D Steinsky Lesson Free. Yeah. And that, that record is just an it's absolute so... work of art. But they had elements of humour into it as well to keep you like hooked yeah. in. And, um, and to this day, I kind of use that as the blueprint of things that I, you know, when I'm DJing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's just snippets of records because. So, you go. Uh, the vinyl copies of that worth a fortune now. It is like the original vinyl, which came out on DiscoNet Records, probably goes for a small fortune. Yeah. Because it was only out as a limited run; they couldn't yeah. officially bring it out because of sample. Yeah, purposes. yeah, yeah. Um, but it was bootlegged. Um, it also came out on a compilation right. uh, a few years ago. But um, you can find it. You'll yeah. find it on Spotify. It's out there, yeah, but it's never officially been released. Okay, so okay. Um, so before we, we, we finish up, we've, yeah. we've not really spoke about you know what you've done. Um, so you know, we've missed a big part of your career. I can't yeah, believe even we, we, we've, we've missed uh, you know something that I generally shout about when, uh, whenever <laughs> you come up into conversation. So you know, if we look at where you're at, um, so what was you like, 25? And you'd yeah. been, and you'd, you know. I kind of done a DMC mixing yeah. championships. And you'd been beaving around making beats and stuff like that. Yeah, and, prattling and, around in a stupid band called Serious Problem. Yeah, well, you know, probably the high point. Nah. The high point. <laughs> but, but a friend of ours, another DJ from Grey's MB, um, yeah. introduced you to Adam um, F, right? No, he didn't. No, he introduced me to. Um, an MC, he's a rave MC, one of the early ones, uh, MCMC, Morris. And um, he, they wanted a, a, a DJ that could scratch. MB could, was quite capable of scratching. Yeah. And, and, and they wanted to use him to do like the Helter Skelter raves and Moondance, mm-hmm. all the big raves that were happening in the day. But for some reason, Martin didn't want to do it. He, he just wanted to pass the baton on. And said, look, I know someone that's like a DMC champion. I think this would be the guy that you need. So um, I met Morris and um, I became the DJ for a group called the Rush Hour. So we used to come on at 3am in the morning at these big sort of raves. And I used to just scratch the hell out of a load of drum and bass records that were out at the time. And I remember being at, I think it was the second one we did. And this guy come up to me and he said, uh, hi, I'm uh, Adam F. Um, I've got a dub plate here. Can you play it in your set? And he handed me a dub plate of a record called Brand New Funk. And he said, it's got like some wicked samples in it. He said, you're going to love it. He said, just drop it. So I was the first person to get this acetate dub mm. plate of Brand New Funk. And I remember just dropping it and the whole place just went ape. And I was like kind of scratching over the top. So after that show, um, Adam comes up to me in, in the dressing room and he's like, man, I just love what you've done with that record. Um, would you ever consider going on tour and joining my band, which was called the F Jams? So I was like, well, yeah, that's, that sounds like awesome. Because I knew of Adam F. He had yeah. a massive album at the time called yeah. Colours, which uh, won a mobile award. It had circles on it. Had circles on it. Yeah. And um, so he said, yeah, come over to the studio. And he said, we'll have a meeting and just see where it'll go from there. So we ended up, um, you know, fast forward, um, you know, I was going on like a tour with him. We like toured 
all over pretty much all over Europe, played Glastonbury, uh, Ross Gildon, all the big festivals. And um, that was a real eye-opener. It was kind of a foot in the door, really, yeah. to like, the big time. So whilst on tour, um, Adam's getting a lot of pressure to um, start coming up with concepts for his next album. Yeah. And drum and bass was like massive in the UK. And uh, EMI Records, they're like, man, you got to kind of, we've got to break this into America. How are you going to do that? So he's like, well, I'll have to get some like rappers on board. And, yeah. But, you know, let's, let's, and he was kind of coming up with some ideas. So he said, Ross, do you want to come in and, and help? He said, you're a hip hop guy. Because I dabbled in production. Do you want to kind of get involved with the production of the album? I was like, well, yeah, definitely. So we kind of got in the studio and worked on a track, which originally was for Buster Rhymes. And um, we, we had a big budget for the album and we kind of went into, um, into a studio with the Royal Symphonia, who, like choir, who um, sang, they, they used to do orchestral scores like yeah. Dan Elfman. And um, we got them to sing like uh, Buster Rhymes, Red Man, chant all the names out. So we've done a couple of alternative intros and um, kind of come up with this really rough around the edges kind of hip hop beat with sort of like some drum and bass rolls. And uh, it was kind of a real mishmash of music. And um, it, it, we took it out to LA. Red Man had just come off of stage with Method Man. And... Um, Played the track, and he was just, and it had this almighty intro on it, and the the the, the choir were just chanting "Red Man, yeah. Red Man, Red Man," and uh, he's like, "What the fuck they said?" <laughs> like you know, like, ah, they're just chanting in your name. He was like, "Word," he said, "That's some ill shit." He said, "Yeah, man, let's let's hook up and get in the studio." So, we, like a forward, fast forward a, a couple of months, uh, we get a date in the studio, and Red Man kind of comes in. And uh, he kind of vocals a very rough version of Smash Something. Yeah. Um, Which my, my, my previous guest, Dan Lassac, uh, has, has always said it's his uh, greatest song to DJ. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So anyway, we kind of remixed that. We kind of had the vocals and we totally stripped it back. And we said, like, we want to put the most awesome intro we can find yeah. on it. So we ended up kind of sifting through loads of ideas and we had an audition tape from the Royal Symphonia and um, of like their, their audition tapes that they send out to different producers, yeah. etc. And um, we heard their version of Overona, uh, which was uh, like the Romeo and Juliet. Uh -huh. So we kind of, uh, and it was in the same key as what we was uh, recorded the song, the, the yeah. Red Man song up in the Red Man. So we put the choir over it and bam, it's just sort of one of those moments where everything clicked into place. We, we put like this badass hip hop beat. I think we sampled, uh, yeah, it was uh, Cool and the Gang's NT that went in there. Then we had the guitarist from M People come in and put the guitar licks on it. And um, it kind of all come together very, very quickly. And then we played it back to Redman and, and his record label, Def Jam. And they were like, wow, that's incredible. And um, that kind of got the ball rolling for yeah. the album and it kind of set a direction. And uh, then, you know, other artists at Def Jam heard it. LL Cool J heard the track. And he was just like, I want something like that. So we ended up producing 
a track for LL Cool J's album and we kind of done a deal with him where we kind of recorded two tracks and he recorded one track for yeah. our album and we shared one of them. Um, who else uh, featured on the album? Uh, De La Salle, which yeah. is one of my... And, and yours, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, favourite, like, hip-hop bands. Yeah. So we got... Guru. Guru, rest in peace. Um, he kind of featured on a track with Carl Thomas. M.O.P.? M.O.P., another big track off the album. Well, let's have it right. This is around the time that M.O.P. had just dropped Anti-Up Anti and, uh, and Cold as Ice. Well, you know. So that, they were, like, smashing it. Also, at, at that time, Pheromonch yeah. had Simon Says out. So we kind of got uh, Pheromonch jumped on it's the album. It's a cream of hip-hop royalty. So it's hip-hop royalty, pretty much. Yeah. And um, me, this, like, this kid from Grace. Essex, <laughs> from Grey's... Kind of just being catapulted up to that kind of status. When you come just... back and you had the you had the album with you and you, you, you just you were showing me the thing and he was kind to give me a little credit and a shout out on there, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, man. Um, but when when you go through the little leaflet and there's a photo of you in that vocal booth with LL Cool J, with LL Cool J, yeah. it's just crazy. Like, yeah, look, look, it just looks surreal. And uh, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. But yeah. So, kind of obviously, you know. That that album was was a, a you know a, a big hit, wasn't it? You know, yeah. it was like yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, and the yeah the, the the singles like smashed something. It's, it's just that went know. like top ten. And the other single was Stan Clear. Stan Clear was a second That's single. The one with MOP, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, those those two tracks yeah. were like. And I think the craziest thing was was like waking up in the morning when your your radio alarm clock goes yeah. off and you're hearing like your record being played yeah. on the radio. You've got you know, stand clear. Yeah. But you're being woken up to your own yeah. song on your on your alarm radio. Was it the first time that Zane Lowe DJed for us that he played it and, and we was like Yeah. He produced that. Yeah. And like, no way. I was like, yes. Right. Uh, which, which, which was great. So so bringing it up to more, more recent times and, and you, you I mean you've been DJing all over the world lately, ain't you? Right. Yeah, I've been um, really busy. I'm kinda Harley Davidson Europe's uh kinda go-to DJ yeah. at the moment. So I kind of play in all these big biker events all yeah. over um, Europe. And yeah, you, they're, think, they're not in no shit places either, no, are they? No, Every time like, I see you, you're in some very, very nice-looking area. Very swish place. Like, I've yeah. just come back from Saint-Tropez. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, with, with Harley, you know, you, you kind of instantly get this uh, image of, like, Hell's Angels yeah, and these course. old guys on, rockers. like, yeah. rockers. But... Um, Kind of what I'm bringing to the table for them is kind of something different, making Harley, you know, it's making it like really cool and yeah. more more for the younger crowd because yeah. those older guys ain't gonna last forever. Yeah, yeah, so, of course, um, yeah. So yeah, like, um, obviously being a hip hop DJ, I can mix all kinds of different music. Yeah. So I'll be at those events like scratching up like Finn Lizzy, yeah, ACDC, and then like you'd be dropping into Rage Against the Machine, yeah. Public Enemy, yeah. Um, De La Soul and you can pretty much get away with everything but you, you just got to be clever with how you yeah. mix it all together that with you keep their attention span going it's completely undeniable that, that that you can't make anything sound interesting as a DJ I, you know for the, the seven or eight years you know that, that you've been you know I sort of kept hassling you to come back to, to club DJ and it was like come down come down you know come and DJ for, for Pip and, and, and me and uh and straight away, it was like you just stamped your mark on that place. And, and you know, I think we have had 
some serious DJs come and guest there. And I Zane think Low, Yoda, everyone. And, wow. And I think they're all generally at some point in the night standing there with their chin on the floor watching your set because, you know, it's always a showstopper, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm totally in awe of, of those guys. Yeah, of like, course. To watch, of course. like yeah. Zane Low. And, you know, a lot of people don't realise how good Zane Low is as, Incredible. A, is a, as a mixed DJ yeah. live. If you Absolutely. ever get to see Zane Lowe, definitely yeah. make a point of seeing Incredible. it. So before we finish, um, what's happening at the moment? Okay. Um, I know you can't say too much. No, I, I've been involved with a movie that's um, about to be released in September. Now, the movie is called White Boy Rick. It's based on a true story. Um, Google it. You know, I can't really give too much away. The trailer's on YouTube. About, yeah. yeah, the trailer's on YouTube. Have a look on there. Um, film's directed by Yann Demarge. Stars Matthew McConaughey. Some, we're not talking about some small yeah. movie. This is like uh, the big Hollywood yeah. kind of film that's going to be coming out. Trailer looks phenomenal. Oh, my God. Yes, and to be involved with that yeah. in the music side of it, and for these guys to kind of track me down and find me to, yeah. do, to get involved with the music side of it, it's just... Like uh, that's incredible, it, it's it's that sort of thing. Don't usually happen every yeah. day, but they've come and found me, and um, and what I've put to this film is like I I've, I've really happy with it. Yeah. So um, so go and see the film. Yeah, it comes out in September yeah. in theaters, movie theaters. It's Matthew McConaughey. Is it Jennifer Jason Lee? Um, yeah. Um, you got um. Who else is in it? There's some big actors in yeah. it. I can't think of the top of my head now. Yeah. Belle Powley, she, yeah. she she she's starring in it. Um, but yeah, it's all based on a true story. Yeah. Google White Boy Rick. You'll yeah. see like documentaries. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely and Matthew McConaughey's a serious he's a good actor, actor, man. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He's so good, mate. That's it's, it's, I'm so excited. When you, <laughs> I mean, you mentioned to us when we was at, at at the club night, you know, a couple of months ago, you said that. I'm working on this thing. I can't say too much, but it's pretty decent. And then you posted the trailer the other day, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> this looks incredible." Yeah, so, yeah. mate, I, I, I wish you well as I as I've wished you well from you know, your first DMC tournament. You know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Ross. Thanks for having and, us. Uh, and I, I knew it'd be good because you know you've done so much, and uh, and it's nice that. You know that we've remained friends, and I've you know, and I've always been able to kind of watch you do these things, and 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 you know, and be able to stand there and be a you know proud of you, and and to yeah. be able to sort of nudge my mates and go check out what Rossi's doing, cool. like so yeah, Thanks, absolutely man. brilliant. So right. go on to Spotify, and you can have a little listen to Rossi's playlist as well, and uh, yeah, that's us done, mate. We're out of here. Cheers. Adios. There you go. Thanks for sticking about to the end. I knew you would. He's a good lad, isn't he, Ross? I knew you'd enjoy that one. Uh, he was he was just really, really cool to sit there and chat to me old schoolmate that he's one of them people who I'm forever telling people I meet when they discuss hip-hop or they discuss record scratching or, you know, just break beats, anything. I'm like, you've seen my mate Destruction, right? And then that's it. That conversation opens up, and it's it's one of my favourite things to talk about. Is how amazing a DJ Ross is. So it's really nice that you all got to 
to hear him tell the story himself and not have me wittering on about him as usual. Um, so thanks loads for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, I was very nervous when I come to doing this podcast because obviously um, we love the fact that, you know, you listen to hardcore listening and you've supported that from day one and, and long may that continue. But, you know, to do this little offshoot thing on, on the side, a little mini series just on my own was, was well nerve wracking and, and, and a bit daunting, but um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. And, uh, and like I say, let us know what your thoughts are on all the social media platforms. Um, go and subscribe and, Hope you all have a lovely day. See you soon. Bye, guys. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipin. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.